I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Well, what's new? Nothing. Uh, <clears throat> I've been watching Last Dance, some sort of ESPN and Netflix thing, uh, about Michael Jordan, who is a <clears throat> famous American basketball player. And he was really well known for the things he did, and people seem to like him a lot. Uh, I don't follow sports of any kind. When I was a kid in elementary school, uh, I never cared about sports. I cared about Dungeons and Dragons and reading, you know, fantasy books and drawing and listening to audiobooks by Ray Bradbury and that sort of thing. And uh, I didn't care about sports. Sports is stupid. I mean, sports is fun to play, but watching other people play the sports, yeah, who gives a crap? Uh, what's the point? You're watching other people be better than you and more athletic than you are. It's just, yeah. So. As a kid, I remember asking my mom one time, I think I was like in third grade or something, and I said, uh, I wish you had more friends. How do you get more friends? And she goes, oh, sports. Do you like sports? And I said, no. And she said, oh, well, what do the other kids talk about? And I said, sports. She goes, yeah, we'll learn about sports. I go, how do you learn about sports? This is, this is also in the 80s, 1983. So I go to the library and get a book on basketball and learn about the history of basketball. Who gives a shit? It's uh, too much. you got to catch up on what the people care about now. I don't care about any of it. So here I am, for the first time in my life, watching hours and hours of sports footage from Michael Jordan. And uh, my kids would come downstairs every once in a while and say, What are you watching? And they'd say, I'm watching a documentary on Michael Jordan. And they'd say, well, Why? Because they know I hate sports. And i say, I don't know. I'm just It's interesting. The guy's the best at the sport. Uh, he doesn't really give much of his personality. There's got to be a demon down in there somewhere. I want to learn about it. And they're like, what the hell's happening to you? So that was it. What did I learn about that? I learned that Michael Jordan is a jerk uh, to work with. If you're on his team, uh, he'll just scream at you and berate you and try to get you to be better. Eh, that's the whole thing. Oh, I beat him up so that he got stronger. He became a better team player and that kind of thing. Eh, eh you know, screw you. But, uh... I thought, oh, I'll apply that to my yard work because uh, I've been doing a lot of yard work on furlough and uh, while I was sick and everything. I'm going to do yard work and I'm going to take it to the max. I'm going to be the Michael Jordan of front yard decoration. My neighbors are going to look upon my yard and see greatness. But I'm all done with yard work. i got nothing else to do. I've done everything I can do. i got nothing else. Uh, so uh, I was just watering the lawn because I put down seeds a while ago. So I was trying to water that lawn to the max, like Michael Jordan would. If you're not going to get your head in the game, then get the hell out of the game, is what Michael Jordan would say. Dumbass, that's what he'd say. But uh, that's all I got left. So, kind of pressed. The kids went back to their moms, 
and uh, just been sitting around, watering the lawn in the evening. Uh, that's it. Suddenly I can't apply Michael Jordan's philosophy to life when you got no one to apply it towards. I can't even apply it towards work, so I'm on furlough. So that's been depressing. Uh, anything else? Nope. Uh, new cat is average. Kids, fine. Not working, so I can't complain about the people I work with. Uh, w- went to uh, get grass seed, uh, so that was a thing. Uh, I even went to get weed killer, which I don't think worked. Uh, that's kind of it. I have nothing to talk about. That's the extent of a man's life in quarantine. Well, I should be thankful that I haven't uh, lost anyone to the virus. That'd be something. So that, that that's kind of it. All right, well, let's move on to the story. I'm going to read a short story called The Injudicious Prayers of Pombo the Idolater from the Book of Wonder by Lord Dunsey. Dunsany. Eh, Dunsey. Uh, I read a different story before about uh, Shemish. Uh, it seems like a lot of his stories in this book are based on worshipping idols and how silly those idols are. Uh, the Book of Wonder is the seventh book and fifth original short story collection of Irish fantasy writer Lord Dunsey, considered a major influence on the work of J.R. Tolkien, H.P. Lovecraft, and Ursula K. Le Guin, and others. It was published in hardcover by William Heinemann in November of 1912. It has been reprinted a number of times since. So, there you go. Uh, apparently everything I'm going to read in the public domain... Uh, has been an influence or some connection to H.P. Uh, Lovecraft and J.R. Tolkien. Constantly. That's everything I read. So let's get into the story. Uh, the Injudicious Prayers of Pombo the Idolater by Lord Dunsey. The Injudicious Prayers of Pombo uh, the Idolater. Pombo the Idolater had prayed to Emma's a simple prayer, a necessary prayer, such as even an idol of ivory could very easily grant. And Amos had not immediately granted it. Pombo had therefore prayed to Tharma uh, for the overthrow of Amos, an idol friendly to Tharma, and in doing this offended against the etiquette of the gods. Tharma refused to grant the little prayer, Pombo prayed frantically to uh, all the gods of idolatry, for though it was a simple matter, yet it was very necessary to a man. And gods that were older than Amas rejected the prayers of Pombo, and even gods that were younger and therefore of greater repute. He prayed to them one by one, and they all refused to hear him. Nor at first did he think at all the subtle divine etiquette against which he had offended It occurred to him all at once as he prayed to his 50th idol. That's a lot of idols. A little green jade god. (laughs) The Chinese know. That all the idols were in league against him. When Pombo discovered this, he resented his birth bitterly. 
and made lamentation and alleged that he was lost. He might have been seen then in a part of London, haunting curiosity shops and places where they sold idols of ivory or of stone. For he dwelt in London with others of his race, though he was born in Burma, among those who hold Ganges holy. On drizzly evenings of November's worst, his haggard face could be seen in the glow of some shop, pressed close against the glass, where he'd supplicate some calm, cross-legged idol, till policemen moved him on. And after closing hours back, he would go to his dingy room in that part of our capital where English is seldom spoken. This is getting dangerously racist. To supplicate little idols of his own. And when Pombo's simple, necessary prayer was equally refused by the idols of museums, auction rooms, and shops, then he took counsel with himself and purchased incense and burned it in a brazier before his own cheap little idols and played uh, the while upon an instrument such as that whereth men charm snakes. Yeah, this is starting to get kind of racist. And still the idols clung to their etiquette. Well, Pombo knew about this etiquette and considered it frivolous in the face of his need or whether his need, now grown desperate, unhinged his mind. I know not. Pombo, the idolater, took a stick and suddenly turned iconoclast. Pombo, the iconoclast, immediately left his house, leaving his idols to be swept away with the dust and so to mingle with man. He went to an arch-idolater of repute, who carved idols out of rare stones and put his case before him. Ah, the arch-idolater who made idols of his own rebuked Pombo in the name of man for having broken his idols. Uh, quote, For hath not man made them? The arch-idolater said, and concerning the idols themselves, he spoke long and learnedly, explaining divine etiquette and how Pombo had offended and how no idol in the world would listen to Pombo's prayer. When Pombo heard this, uh, he wept and made bitter outcry and cursed the gods of ivory and the gods of jade and the hand of man that made them. But most of all, he cursed their etiquette that had undone, as he said, an innocent man. So that at last that arch-idolater who made idols of his own stopped in his work upon an idol of Jasper for a king that was weary of Wash. Was weary of W-O-S-H. All right, whatever. And took compassion on Pombo and told him that though no idol in the world would listen to his prayer, yet only a little way over the edge of it a certain disreputable idol set who knew nothing of etiquette. Aha! and granted prayers that no respectable god would ever consent to hear. When Pombo heard this, I took two handfuls of the archer beard and kissed them joyfully. Wow. I don't know if I would ever kiss a man's beard. And dried his tears and became his old impertinent self again. And he that carved from Jasper, the usurper of Wash, explained how in the village of World's End, at the furthest end of Last Street, there's a hole uh, you can take to be a well close by the garden wall. But that if you lower yourself by your hands over the edge of the hole and feel about with your feet till they find a ledge, that is the top step of a flight of stairs that takes you down over the edge of the world. For all that men know, those stairs may have a purpose, 
and even a bottom step, said the archidolater, but discussion about the lower flights is idle. Then the teeth of Pombo chattered, for he feared the darkness. Ah, but he made idols of his own, explained it. Those stairs were always lit by a faint blue gloaming in which the world spins. Then, he said, you will go by Lonely House and under the bridge that leads from the house to, to nowhere, and whose purpose is not guessed, thence past Maharin, the god of flowers, and his high priest, who is neither bird nor cat, that could be anything. And so you will come to the little idol Duth, the disreputable god that will grant your prayer. And he went on carving again his idol Jasper for the king who was weary of wash. And Pombo thanked him and went singing away, for in his vernacular mind he thought that he had the gods. And it's a long journey yeah, from London to World's End. Where the heck's World's End? I mean, maybe that's a real place? I think there's a movie about that. And Pombo had no money left, yet within five weeks he was strolling along Last Street. But how he contrived to get there I will not say, for it was not entirely honest. And Pombo found the well at the end of the garden, beyond the end house of Last Street, and many thoughts ran through his mind as he hung by his hands from the ledge. But chiefest of all, those thoughts was one that said the gods were laughing at him through the mouth of the arch-idolater. Their prophet, and the thought beat in his head till it ached like his wrists, and then he found a step. Oh, and Pombo walked downstairs. There, sure enough, was the gloaming in which the world spins, and the stars shone far off in it faintly. There was a, yeah, nothing before him as it went downstairs, but the strange blue waste of gloaming. I gotta look up gloaming. 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 Well, I'm saying it right. Black, blackness, candlelight. Eh. Examples of gloaming in a sentence. Lovers would often retreat to the gloaming of the park's many secluded recesses to steal a kiss. Eh. So, just darkness? All right, well, we nailed that. Uh, before him as he went downstairs, but that strange blue waste of gloaming. It's the blue part that always throws me off, but apparently uh, the author doesn't know the meaning of the word gloaming. Uh, with its multitudes of stars and comets plunging through it, on outward journeys and comets returning home. And then he saw the lights of the bridge to nowhere, and all of a sudden he was in the glare of the shimmering parlor window of Lonely House. And he heard voices there pronouncing words, and the voices were no wise human. And but for his bitter need, he had screamed and fled halfway between the voices and Maharin, whom he now saw standing out from the world covered in rainbow halos. Ah, and he perceived the weird great beast that is neither cat eh, nor bird, which could be anything. As Pombo hesitated, chilly with fear, he heard those voices grow louder in Lonely House. And at that, he stealthily moved ooh, a few steps closer and then rushed past the beast. The beast intently watched Maharin, hurling up bubbles that are every one a season of spring and unknown constellations, calling the swallows ah, home to unimagined fields 
watching him without even turning to look at Pombo, and saw him drop into the Linlalarna. Linlalarna. Not going to look it up. Eh, the river that rises at the edge of the world. The golden pollen that sweetens the tide of the river and is carried away from the world to be a joy to the stars. And there before Pombo was a little disreputable god uh, who cares nothing for etiquette and will answer prayers that are refused by all the respectable idols. And whether the view of him at last excited Pombo's eagerness or whether his uh, need was greater than he could bear that it drove him so swiftly downstairs or whether, as it most likely, he ran too fast past the beast. I do not know, and it does not matter to Pombo, but at any rate, he could not stop. As he had designed in attitude of prayer at the feet of Duth, but ran on past him uh, down the narrowing steps, uh, clutching at smooth, bare rocks till he fell from the world as, when our hearts miss a beat, we fall in dreams and wake up with a dreadful jolt. But there was no waking up for Pombo, who still fell on toward the incurious stars, and his fate is even one with the fate of Slith. Well, what do we learn from this episode? We learn that, uh... Don't uh, trip on your dick halfway out the gate. Sorry I have to say that. I try to make this a family-friendly podcast, but when I worked at an ad agency, we were all sitting in a meeting, and everyone got real excited about an idea we are going to do for some project or whatever, and uh, one of the three crabby owners said, uh, the crabbiest of the three crabbies, said, uh, all right, all right, let's all calm down here. Let's not trip on our dicks halfway out the gate, which is a terrible visual imagery, and... I'm imagining it involves horse racing and horses with huge wieners. Uh, the gate opens and they start to run and one of them steps on his own penis and falls over halfway out the gate. So, Pombo did that. He uh, finally found an idol that will ignore the powers of etiquette and grant him whatever the heck his wish was. I don't think they ever said what it was. And, uh, and then he's uh, real excited. He goes past the, the weird beast that is neither bird nor uh, cake. I don't know. It was just like a vague animal. And because uh, there's a lot of animals in between what they described. And um, and uh, just you know, kept sliding past. So he disappeared in the ether. So he tripped on his own dick halfway out the gate. How do I tie this in with what I said earlier? Uh, Michael Jordan seems like the kind of guy that... If he had kind of a down-home Midwestern, you got a farm on the plains, you can see a tornado coming towards you, and you, you suck on your hayseed in your mouth, and you say to yourself, I'm not going to trip on my dick halfway out the gate here. Uh, that's something Michael Jordan would say. I think if Michael Jordan had something to do with this person trying to find an idol, he'd say, uh, calm down. Don't be so eager. Get your head in the game. If your head isn't in the game, uh, get the hell out of the game. I don't want you on my team. Get out of my team. You're weak, and I find you pathetic. So with that, uh, 
I think I also fall in the same camp. I tried to smoke a pipe. I decided it would be pretty cool. Uh, I smoked a pipe while doing yard work. I live in an old farm home. And uh, I thought, yeah, doing yard work is like being a farmer here. And I'll keep up the tradition. I'm going to smoke a pipe while I water my lawn and do uh, other things with mulch. So I lit a pipe, but I gag really easily. So I put the pipe in my mouth. I start to gag. And I pull it out. And then the pipe goes out. And I got to light it again. Just it became a comedy of errors. Just over and over again. Lighting it and gagging and lighting it. And I think if anyone were to see me, they'd think I was pathetic. And that I had also tripped on my own phallus halfway out the gate. So... Yeah, don't be like Pombo. Try to calm the hell down. Have a little dignity. I think we could all use that right now. So, thanks for listening, and I hope you tune in next time.